The Recipes for Life podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanded consciousness. Eric Godzi is a cognitive psychologist and psychonaut trying to figure out how the individual can transform who they are into who they could be. He's neurotically obsessed and he studies cognitive, behavioral, positive, Jungian, transactional, evolutionary and clinical psychology. He shares what he learns along the way and he has a free ebook on healing from traumatic past, a free email course on creating the future you want and he also hosts the Meta Programming Podcast. To learn more about Eric Godsey, visit individuationing.com. I-N-D-I-V-I-D-U-A-T-I-O-N-I-N-G.com. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Eric, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. And, uh, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, or all of my heart, I should say, not from the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate you reaching out and asking me to come on. It's my pleasure. So I've been watching and listening to your work recently, and I've been amazed by it. And I guess you have an identity or a label as a cognitive psychologist and a psychonaut. And right. Tell me what those two labels mean to you and why you've chosen to uh, to identify with these. Absolutely. So psychonaut, what that word means to me is essentially someone who is spending more than the average amount of effort to try to map their inner cartography. And that sounds kind of pretentious, but sincerely, I think that there's a universe inside all of us and that most of us want to distract ourselves with external objects, and we don't get to know what the fuck is going on inside of us. And so I like to take psychedelics, not to go out to a rave or go to a party or even go to a park. I like to take it and then sit down and then look at my mind. So that's what I identify through the word psychonaut. Mm -hmm. And cognitive psychologist, essentially, the degree that I got It's a bachelor's of science in cognitive psychology, and that's an emphasis on how the brain processes information. It's one of the more 
scientific schools of psychology. It's really looking at how the human brain learns and how memory works. And that was the type of psychology that most interested me when I was in college. And, you know, since then, I've gotten really into Jungian psychology because I feel like he was the best bridge between modern academic psychology and the scientific method. And then all these things that I was experiencing as a psychonaut that could not be captured by the language or the way of thinking that mainstream academic psychology use. Mm. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? So the, the, the psychedelics or the, the uh, fascination and interest into psychology, or are they one of the same? So I recently went to Peru to do Wachuma with um, a shaman called Don Howard, and that triggered a bunch of introspection before I went. And I remembered something that I had kind of forgotten the day before I left. And it was essentially that when I was seven, maybe I was eight, but I had just recently been exposed to the idea of the Christian God by people who didn't really connect to the root of Christianity. So as it came off of their lips, I could feel that it was hollow. Mm -hmm. But they told me about heaven and about how basically the best case scenario for my existence, if I do everything right, quote unquote, mm -hmm. is I'm going to go to a place where I can only feel love and it's going to last forever. Yep. And they said it like that was a good thing. And I remember, I think I was seven or eight and I was lying in bed and I was really trying to think about what my existence would be like if it were forever. Mm. And the thought made me cry. Like I was so afraid of the idea of eternity that I started crying. And this was kind of a nightmare that I had, but it was like a daymare. Like it wasn't in my sleep. It was as I was getting ready for sleep. And then I would then pray to the God that promised me this fate to help me not think about this so I could fall asleep. And this went on for a couple of weeks, and then it just kind of faded into the background of my life. And um, in high school, I was a hardcore atheist. And what happened the day before I went to Peru is that I realized that my obsession with the scientific method was to try to protect myself from the idea that I would be eternal. And then once I started doing psychedelics, I started having experiences where it's like, dude, you probably will be eternal, and you have to get over this fear. And so I, I have, you know, you could say I have Plato and Aristotle inside of me. One is the spiritual, mystic, woo-woo-er, and then the other one is the hardcore, scientific, material, rationalist. And the two, I like to have both. And so I think the God experience came first, and then I protected myself with science, and now I have both. Mm, so from what I'm gathering from that, it's for you, it's about balance. Yeah, I think I have a huge ego that can tend to megalomania that I can keep balanced with hardcore skepticism and rationalism. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let that sink in. Maybe, maybe you can repeat that again for me. You've got... I have a huge ego that tends to megalomania that I use hardcore skepticism and rationalism to keep rooted and balanced. Okay, so let's explore this. Uh, I was reading one of your posts the other day, and it really struck me. It really was very, very profound. And uh, I'd love for you to talk to us about the the two statues that are facing off with each other, yeah. because I, I feel like 
talking about the ego, as you said, then will and also talking about the God experience will be out. You'll be able to summate uh, exactly what you meant then by your own experience and, and how you navigate this life. Yeah. I'll attempt, <laughs> but <laughs> the post was basically an exploration of, so in my life recently, especially post Peru, because kind of my big insight from Peru was I need to get out of my head and into my heart. And the heart is a metaphor that we use for, you know, our feelings, our emotions to get out of the cognitive and into the animal, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying this thing in my relationships where I'm currently not monogamous with anyone, but I'm dating. And most people my age who date just fucking lie. And like, they just treat the people that they claim to love like shit by not speaking the truth. And I've really tried to make a commitment to speak the truth. And I'm seeing people in my direct orbit, either as a cause of me doing it or just a weird synchronicity because now I'm being able to see it. All of them are having these really hard, honest conversations with people that they love. Mm. And I kept having this image over the course of the last week of all of us, thanks to mom and dad, we learned very early what conditional love means. That we have to be a specific way to be worthy of love. And all of us have unconscious adaptive patterns that we've learned from mom and dad about how we should be and how we should act to make us worthy of love. And most of us, when we fall in love, it's because we have found a partner who their dysfunction matches one of the dysfunctions of our parents and then matches the dysfunction that we've learned to get love from that parent. <laughs> Makes sense. And I know that that's a lot, but I think if you sit with it, you'll feel how it resonates in truth. And I think all of those patterns that we've learned to earn conditional love, it's our mask. It's our persona. It's the statue that we have used to, it's the calcification of our heart. It's this statue that's wrapped around a real flesh body. Mm -hmm. And I really like to use images from mythology because I think they resonate on a level that is beyond just something that somebody makes up. I think it's, you know, it's deep, it's an archetype of the collective unconscious, the idea that there's a human inside of the statue. Mm -hmm. And the post that I was talking about is that there's also this mythological idea that the truth or the the spoken truth through the mouth is like fire. And there's all these biblical references to someone's speech being like fire or how you can set someone aflame with your tongue, things like that. Mm. And I had this idea that like, as you commit to a relationship where you're going to speak your truth, you're going to burn away the person that you love pieces of their mask and it's going to hurt them. And if they're not, it's, it's going to hurt their ego, not the thing behind the ego, which you can call awareness or the soul or whatever word works for you, but it's going to hurt their ego. Mm. And if they're committed to truth, they're going to share truths with you because all of us are lacking, at least in the way that our ego acts. We have things that could be improved if we had the courage to look at them. And if you're in love with someone, they're going to see it. Like, I, I think that everyone is smarter than their conscious mind is. I think everyone is much more than their conscious mind. And the conscious mind is really one of the smallest parts. It's one of the youngest parts of the psyche. I think there's something in everyone that's super wise and that can look at another human body and instantly see 
all these things and know all these things that they can't articulate. And so as you love someone and you get into a deep relationship with them, they will learn how to articulate the truths that they see about you that you're blind to and that no one else that you know has the courage to tell you. Hmm. And if they speak those truths, they will burn you. But I think in order to become who you could be, which you aren't currently who you could be, you have to let pieces of you burn away and die. And I think that that's like the epitome to me of a truly loving relationship. And it can be challenging. It can be frightening. It can be, you have to be vulnerable. And obviously, Absolutely. obviously the mind, and I want to delve a little bit deeper into how our mind protects us and is the ultimate, I guess, trickster or game player into, because you, you wrote about it in your post and said, you know, you, you know, this is happening, but then you allow your mind to create the, to basically build the statue again, even though that you know that it's happening. Right. <laughs> and I found that so, <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, so true that you could, you could do this work with psychedelics. For instance, you can, you can experience your true nature, your true self, and then you come back into this waking reality or this dream, I should say, of, of what we call present day life. <laughs> and all yeah. of a sudden, your identity or your, your statue or your masks start to come back. It's like, it's like that uh, show of that movie with Jim Carrey, the mask, you know, it just comes back. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And (laughs) I think the things that we're talking about, they're archetypes. And that's why the show or the movie, the mask, it gets it right. The mask comes back. And I think, so I like to balance what I read with Jung with what has been found to be true in evolutionary psychology. Mm Because I think that's the rationalism, that's the Aristotle, and Jung is the Plato. And I think that those are the two things that I'm most interested. Because really what I'm trying to do is I want to understand human nature. Mm -hmm. And I think Jung went deeper than almost anyone that I know. But he also got a lot wrong because he didn't have the analytic tool that we now have of evolutionary psychology. And essentially, the, the ego seems to be a piece of the psyche that evolved to help the meat suit fuck and not die before it fucks. And so there are all these programs that are inside of the ego program that is a manifestation of the fact that you have a biological body. Mm -hmm. I think in the last 20 years, we've really become aware of how dominated we are by the shadow aspect of the ego. And so now what has happened in the last five or six years is there's been this hardcore overreaction to all things that are ego. And, Mm. you know, like one of the most famous books amongst people who are trying to be effective and woke is Ego is the Enemy. And Mm. again, Ryan Holiday makes a distinction at the very beginning that he's not talking about ego in the way that all of us tend to talk about ego. And I think that that confuses people, but I understand where he's coming from. For anyone listening, the ego is not the enemy. The ego is the wolf to tame. If you beat the wolf and you starve the wolf, it will fucking bite you the moment you turn your head. Mm-hmm. But if you learn how to train the wolf, it will be your greatest ally. It will help you hunt. It will protect you. It will watch after your children and it will help you be a successful chief of your tribe, all metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. And I think that the mask building function of the ego is it's responding to what you think is painful. 
like all the calcification of the statue is because you, a piece of you is telling the ego, ow, this hurts. I want to avoid this. I can't handle this. And I think as you go down the path of trying to be more conscious and more aware that you aren't the ego, you are the thing that witnesses the ego, the ego can relax a little bit and it doesn't build the statue as quickly as it used to. Hmm. So where do we go? I know from- I'm throwing a lot at you. I'm sorry. You know, that no, no, I, I, I love it because these podcasts are designed and, and my intention with them is to, for them to be listened to quite a few times, which I've done over the last year with, cool. with, with the guests that I've interviewed. Because for me, my intention with these podcasts is to be a student. And this information is actually really just for me. And I'm happy to share it with anybody. And then if they can take anything that resonates with them, then so be it. And if nobody listens to it, then so be it. I'm just grateful for this experience and for me to be able to ask the questions that I believe uh, I am wanting to know, as you said, to understand humans and how we think, how we feel, how we set up our belief systems, how we can remove some of these falsehoods and get to, as you said, tame that, have that wolf that we can use as a tool for this experience at this moment of now in this strange, dualistic experience that we have, you know, (laughs) of of being and also an expression of God without any religious context there. So tell me about... The more and more I'm exploring my own understanding of self, the more I see this as a game in which I've created all the pieces. Yeah. I've created all the drama in my life. I've created all the joy. I'm, I'm the, the chess master of my own reality. And potentially when I'm having a psychedelic experience, I'm also having the realization that I've created the whole <laughs> as that experience that everything is my creation just as it is your creation and i'd love to delve in a little bit deeper into the game or the reality that we create yeah so there's a couple of ways to come at that and the first thing that comes up for me is that probably the deepest idea in jungian psychology that i've tried to articulate maybe 50 times and every time i have never felt like i've articulated it the way that hits it square in the bullseye i'm Mm -hmm. gonna try again and i'll continue trying for the rest of my life but it's that there seems to be an objective world but we do not have the biological apparatus to perceive the objective world what we do have is a meat suit that has built-in patterns of interpretation of the objective world that then allows us to create a world within our mind And then we interact with the simulation in our mind, and it seems to overlap well enough for most people where we can have a mutually agreed upon hallucination that allows us to make rocket ships, basically. But (laughs) the key thing there is that each of us are inside the simulation that our meat suit is generating, but we have evolved to think of the simulation as the external world because it allows for the simulation to be more accurate. But if you're schizophrenic or you take a lot of a psychedelic, it feels as if the entire world is your creation. But it's because the world is what all of us mean when we say or we think about the world. 
We're, we're not talking about the objective mass of rock that we live on. We're talking about our subjectively simulated reality that we feel like is something outside of our mind. But if you start to lose your mind, or if you go deep enough in mushrooms or LSD or ayahuasca, you will then realize, oh, I'm only ever inside of my simulation. And so I think that you are the chess master of, of your world, but not the world. And if you're on five grams of mushroom and you think you can fly and you step off the top of a building, you're going to die. <laughs> so here's the question for you. So I, I know you're passionate about, and, and so am I, about creating and using these tools to manifest the reality that we desire or that we, that we want or that we need. But do you believe that we can create the life that we choose to create? Or are we just randomness just swimming around in, in this undefined pool? Okay. So I think it comes down to no one knows. <laughs> okay. So nobody knows. So at least from my perspective, my my deepest assumption about the nature of reality is basically skepticism. So I don't think anyone knows. And I think anyone who says they know, they're conflating their belief with knowing. But then the next step after that is, okay, what is pragmatic? What idea allows me to have that makes me more effective at having the type of life that I want? Mm -hmm. And I have never met anyone in my life who believes that there's no meaning to their life to have a life that I would want to replicate. I've never met that person. So I choose to not believe that life is randomness because nobody acts like life is random. Even people who are at a party, who are drinking, who are trying to sound smart, who talk to you about life has no meaning. If the girl that they like kisses some dude, they act like life matters. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people pay lip service to this philosophy but they don't live it. And there's a quote by Emerson and it's what you do speak so loudly. I cannot hear what you say. So yeah. I just, you know, I'm like, fuck those people. And then the, so it's what's useful. And to answer your question, uh, when you, cause I think what was tripping you up is, is it the ego that gets to choose uh -huh. the life and then desires it and then manifests it? Or is it the soul? Yeah. And I think it's kind of like this. And this is completely taken from Jung, but I believe in it. And it's that the oak seed has within it the will to become an oak tree. Yeah. It doesn't have the will to become a cypress tree or a maple tree or an apple tree. It's to be an oak tree. But it's going to hit all sorts of resistance in its life that it will have to adapt and grow to. I think all of us come into the world with our hero's journey. And it's specific. It's kind of like our fate. But we can choose to not manifest it. But I, and the thing about free will is I think if you become in accord with yourself and you're really in alignment, that thing which you desire is your fate. And then you become a hero and you're going to have to slay all the motherfucking dragons that are on that path. And there are, and there be dragons. Mm -hmm. And so I think all of our greatest life is something that um, we would realize and desire if we were in accord with our soul. And mm -hmm. soul is a word that I'm 
okay using it. It helps me understand my inner cartography. And a lot of people listening might not feel like that's the right word, but there's something in you that doesn't feel like your ego that comments when you do dumb shit that that was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> and when you do the right shit, it's like, good, that's what you should be doing. And that thing will guide you. And I think mm. that you make that thing stronger the more you do the things that it says to do and the less you do the things that it tells you not to do. And ancient Greeks called it your daemon. And, you know, the way Plato described Socrates, what he said made him basically the smartest man in Athens because he was a man that listened to his daemon above all else. So I think everyone has an inner voice that is asking them to do the thing that they know is the thing they want to do the most, but it's terrifying. Mm. And then you can manifest that by being brave and courageous and doing all the things you know you should do and, and sacrificing all the things that you do that you know you shouldn't do. And then facing dragons over and over and over and over. And then finding the treasure in the cave and then bringing that medicine back to the tribe and being of service for the rest of your life. Mm, it's so fascinating. It's, I've had a very interesting week or two weeks lately, and it's brought up a lot of those dragons as you speak about. And <laughs> one of them is actually on a, on a business level. And I've had the tendency over the years to chase down, basically, and I see it as a game, anything that I want to bring or create into the world. I, I, I have a tenacity and a determination and a persistence of like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel. I'm just going to go do it. And it's interesting because over the last year, I've been like, I feel like I'm chasing too much. Yeah. So over the last month or two, I'm like, I'm just going to let the desire to keep creating just dissipate as much as I can, you know? And it's interesting over the last week, these couple of business opportunities that I never even thought was in my realm of uh, reach, you know, we're talking large scale businesses. They've actually come to me instead of me going to them. Yeah. And, and it's like the first time I'm like, whoa, this is really interesting for me. But then I, I then the mask comes back on and like, oh, I better chase this and make sure that I don't fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I guess I'm still not at that point of, of total surrender and total let go. And that's why I guess I was asking you about creating the life that you want. How do you play and how do you use the tool of the ego because obviously we do desire these, sometimes these material things or whether it's, you know, the house for the children or this, the money to give them education when you're a parent, the realities of modern day life. But you also want to come from your soul, as you say. So that navigation part of it for everybody, and everybody's at a different point, but everybody's having these dragons come up to them or, or these challenges. What's your, your advice here for people? Because Obviously, there must be some fundamental truth that we can all yeah. take something from. Yeah, there's a couple of things here. I think the first and primary piece is the understanding that the ego is not on the throne of the psyche. The ego is not the thing running the show. The ego is a servant to the soul or the intuition or the daemon, whatever word you want to use for that thing that whispers to you. The ego is that thing's servant. Mm -hmm. So the ego is the thing that allows that intuition to manifest in the real world. So it serves a very important function, but it is not the king. And so 
Like my thing is that when my intuition speaks, I almost don't even flinch at this point. Like I, I do the thing. Um, now I think that I've cultivated being able to discern between when the ego is trying to pretend it's the intuition and when it's actually the intuition <laughs> and the two things that I would recommend to everyone, cause the ego will fucking do that. Mm. Um, the two things I would recommend is the first one is to meditate because it allows you to be more perceptive of what happens internally. Like internal perception is the key here is to be able to, cause in every moment there's like four or five things happening in just your conscious mind. Like you're aware of everything happening in the room and your conscious mind is allowing you to actively be aware of like 1% of it. You're aware of everything that's happening in your body, where energy is moving, where blood is going, where there's a twitch or where you feel like there's like an itch, like all of that's happening right now too. And then your breath is giving you emotional feedback and what's going on inside of you based off of what you're experiencing. Like there's a lot of things happening. And I think when you start meditating and I would specifically um, recommend Vipassana because it's the most basic and it really allows you to hone that internal perception is to start there. And then my core practice when I need help navigating is to journal. Mm -mm. I think that that is the motherfucking holy grail whenever anyone asks me, what should I do about X? And my response is journal. Talk to your intuition. Like, I have not had a problem arise in my life in the last two years where I did not know what to do by the end of the first page of writing. Mm. Like, if you're able to be radically honest with yourself, and I think that that's the key is because a lot of people, most people lie to themselves about themselves. And if that's the part of the game that you're at, you have to start meditating. And I'd probably recommend mushrooms, but that's my personal, you know, I'm not a doctor, so don't, you know, but that's what I would do. And journaling is my, it's how I calibrate my internal GPS. So talk, talk to me about what the power of journaling, what, what is it in your perspective or perception that allows clarity to flow forth and for truth to present itself to you? I think so from a cognitive psychological standpoint, the way our conscious minds are kind of programmed by evolution to operate is we are trying to complete open loops. At any one time, someone, an average person has between 50 and 100 open tasks that their brain is actively trying to solve. It eats up brain power, willpower, and it causes chronic stress if, if you have a bunch. The average CEO has somewhere between 400 and 500 open loops. And so you can think of your conscious mind being like a browser, like Chrome or Firefox, and each tab is an open loop. Mm -hmm. And most of us have 50 or 100 open loops. And one of the open loops or one of the things competing for your conscious mind with all those open loops is your intuition. Mm -hmm. And I find that when I don't know what to do, it's because I can't hear my intuition. Yeah. So when I write, it's like as I write and I do free writing, like I'm not trying to write for someone. I'm just fucking allowing my brain to vomit. And what <laughs> seems to happen is that your brain just unconsciously starts to close loops. Like it's weird, but from a strictly cognitive psychological point of view, 
All your brain wants to know is what is the next step to completing the task. Mm. And even if you don't do it, like what they find physiologically is it's like you close one of the browsers or one of the windows. Like you, you get a little bit of energy back from that open loop being closed. And so if I feel overwhelmed, what that means is that I have way too many windows open. Mm. So I just start writing and they start closing down. And then eventually I hear my intuition and it tells me exactly what I need to do. And then I stop writing. And then I do the fucking thing it told me to do. Because what a lot of people will do is they will hear their intuition. They won't do it. And they'll go ask 10 people, what should I do? Even though they know from the beginning what they need to do and they're not doing it because they're afraid. <laughs> and how good does it feel when you clean up your, your desktop and put all those files into a night, into, a, into, best, their, into their folders? You just feel like it's yes. like cleaning your house or cleaning your car or whatever it may be or cleaning your body and uh, having a cleanse. Absolutely. So let me ask you this question then. So when you do journal, do you have a... a an intention to like, for instance, if you've got 50 of those tabs open, is your intention, let's close some of these tabs and let's just write. Is it like a one sentence? I'm okay with this. Is it like Bart Simpson writing on the, on the, on the blackboard or is, tell me, <laughs> tell me how you manifest. Cause I hear other people say that they just get a pen and paper and, and they just channel information and other people like to set intentions. My only intention, and I never have to write it, it's just kind of running in the background, is have the courage to look at whatever the truth is and admit the truth to yourself. Mm -hmm. And But that's not even spoken. Like that, That's just my primary, don't be a coward and face the truth. And then mm -hmm. I write. And the thing is, is like, the writing will tell me what to do. And so like, I... I, I just really started consciously dating and you know, I've been going on all these fucking dates and I have way too many people that I'm trying to give energy to. And so the other day How many I, sat down, you got <laughs> I had 11 and then I had to fucking <laughs> sit down and I journaled for almost three hours because I was really trying to explore why am I inter why am I entertaining all these women mm -hmm. and what is my truth to each of them? And so I really sat down and I, I really tried to, and it's like the journaling told me, I didn't know that that's what I was going to write about. I just knew I needed to write because I felt overwhelmed. And then after like four sentences, I was like, oh, this is what we're doing. I'm going to write each girl's name and what my truth is to her. And then I sent a bunch of texts that night and I closed like six relationships and all of them responded positively because I, I wrote to them in a way that wasn't dismissive wasn't what the kids these days called ghosting mm. and they respected it. And I feel so much better. Like, yeah. And so I, I don't go in with an intention other than to listen and to face whatever my intuition tells me to face. And then I do it. Mm. And I guess for you, and I don't know whether you want to share or not, but your, your dating at this particular point in time is for you to experience lots of different uh, experiences or mirrors for your own self. Is that, would that be in its simplest terms? So the dating is why I wrote that post that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And essentially I'm aware that I have a stat, a calcified statue around my heart and I'm trying to find as many star gods as I feel is needed to, smash this bullshit with their truth. 
And so I'm really trying to find star gods that are going to incinerate the stone that I have around my heart. <clears throat> Interesting. <laughs> I love your honesty and your openness, brother. It's, uh, it's very refreshing. So, sure. um, you. so you've mentioned a couple of things here and I'd like to journey down there if you don't mind. So mushrooms, magic mushrooms or psilocybin. And I know in the States and in Canada, the laws are changing. There's yeah. different, uh, scientific studies going on about how they can help people with post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and all of these things. And I guess for anybody listening, and I don't want to, I guess, generalize, but maybe some of my listeners think that psychedelics are a hippie thing or have this, they have a, an idea about psychedelic drugs that maybe you don't have yourself because you see them with different eyes or different clarity. So can you explain why psychedelics yeah. have this reemergence into popular culture at the moment? For sure. And how deeply do we need to respect them and revere them and that they're not just for recreational use? For sure. So the thing that I would offer to any of those listeners that are like who you just described, if you are interested in helping or healing people in any capacity, so that means parents, uh, son or daughter to a parent who is wounded in some way, a teacher of any type, a coach, anyone who is interested in helping or healing, you owe it to the people that you love, that you want to help to read a book called How to Change Your Mind. I'm going to say that again. How to Change Your Mind by mm. Michael Pollan. Beautiful. And I book. think that book does a better job than any other book that I've read about psychedelics explaining why it is important that we scientifically explore these chemicals. Mm. So that's the asterisk that I would give for the beginning. But essentially, why they're reemerging is that we live in more abundance than any culture has ever in recorded history. And the amount of mental and physical illness in our culture is higher than then I think anything that's ever been recorded. Now, I think that there are some people that make the argument that if you really look at the statistics that it's getting better, but we are the sickest we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And so there's been researchers who's like, okay, what we're doing, especially in mental health, is not working. Let's go back into the scientific literature and see what used to work. And the thing is, is that we studied psychedelics scientifically before they were banned because of the mass hysteria that was triggered. It's not completely his fault, but Timothy Leary got crazy back in the 60s and scared people in power. And then a law was passed that made all sorts of psychedelics automatically illegal. But before that happened, we were using mushrooms and LSD to um, help people with severe mental illness and disease. And basically what has been found in the last 10 years is specifically with MDMA and mushrooms, is that if you give it to people who are depressed, and if you give it to people who are suffering from cancer and have fear of dying from cancer, you help them. And the degree to which those people are helped are orders of magnitude more effective than any other intervention we have right now. Like I think what MAPS is showing with their MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is something like 80% of the people who do it, who scored as having severe PTSD after they do the trial, 
don't have PTSD as it's scored in the standard test that we give people when they have PTSD. 80%. Mm. Our next closest intervention, I think, is effective in like the 20 to 30% range. Like it's not even close. Mm. And if you're someone who writes off psychedelics just because of the word psychedelic or because you have some, probably some belief that if you actually went and looked at research articles is not a fact, like LSD does not stay stored in your spinal fluid. And that's just wrong. It's just made up. On Oprah in the 90s, it was reported that MDMA could cause holes in your brain. And that Mm. became a huge meme. And it's still a meme. When you go look at the actual study, and they talk about this in How to Change Your Mind, this is fucking crazy. The study was actually retracted because they found that one of the research assistants accidentally was giving the rats amphetamine. Mm. And so the brain scans that they got weren't from MDMA. They were literally from a rat that was being given amphetamine Mm. chronically, like high dose chronic intake of amphetamine and then that thing was put on oprah and it became this huge meme and so the thing that i want to i'm I'm going down some rabbit holes but to refocus on your question Mm -hmm. if you are someone that cares about helping people in any capacity i think you owe it to them to read how to change your mind by michael pollan and the reason psychedelics have reemerged in our culture in the last 10 years it's it's two reasons The rise of the internet and social media and podcasting and alternative forms of consuming information has made it to where if it's an interesting idea, it will not be hidden. Mm. We live in a time that good ideas cannot be stopped. And then the other thing is that we are fucking sick. And people who are trying to help, who are really earnest and genuinely trying to help, they're going to look at anything that might work, period. And it seems like the... I guess the people I admire the most that work with the brain, work with the body, work with the mind, work with the soul, they tend to all be talking about this now in ways that people probably aren't used to. They're actually talking like you just did then, very rationally, very respectfully, and using science and also spirit as, I guess, the foundational principles of this. And I guess we need to obviously cover ourselves here and and talk about respect and reverence and understanding because we're not advocating for people to go out there and and start start tripping on their way to work. (laughs) Yeah, the thing that I would offer, and uh, it's a great quote by Jung, and it was actually his response to someone asking him about psychedelic use, and it's essentially, beware of unearned wisdom. And essentially what that means is that if If you're brand new on the self-exploration path, you don't even realize that you're a statue. You Hmm. don't even realize that you are this thing that has built up automatic responses to avoid pain and to try to be worthy of love. And you don't realize that there's a huge cosmos inside of you that has autonomous entities that are watching you and paying attention and always here. So if you go straight into five grams of mushrooms, it could legitimately crack your sanity and you never come back the same. Like it would be irresponsible to say that that is not a possibility. But if you do it intelligently, which means like start at one gram and tell the people who you trust that you're doing it and have them as a resource if you need to have someone to ground you. 
make a playlist of songs that don't have words, but that make you feel safe and comfortable. Make your house a place that you feel good to be in and lie down. Like it's almost impossible for that scenario to go wrong. Mm. Almost impossible. It's more risky to drink coffee every day for 10 years and to ignore that your wife has been giving you signals that you need to talk to her and you haven't. And most people will take that risk every fucking day. Mm. So we need to, I guess, check whoever's listening around the world and check what the legal status is of anything. And, and, and again, I can't advocate to, to do it, but uh, everyone is responsible for their own, their own actions and their own, their own life. Let's talk about choices because that is obviously yeah. a choice and people might be listening to this going, hmm, I don't think that's, that's a path that I want to take. So um, whether it's anything, whether it is that coffee every day and not having a, that truthful chat to your partner or spouse or children or parents or whatever it may be or, or boss or, or employee, anybody that we meet and have a relationship with. So right. let's talk about choices and what, how do you navigate? Because obviously every choice that we make, will take us down a new path or a rabbit hole or uh, into into pain or into pleasure or, or a little bit of both. So how do you navigate choice? <sighs> By choosing not to have a choice. And I'll explain that. Um, my belief is that if I speak and act in truth, which I think is synonymous with love, mm -hmm. as best as I can, whatever happens, is the best possible outcome that can happen. Therefore, whatever situation I am in, I choose truth. As best as I know how in the moment. I'm not perfect. I don't always tell the truth. Like at least once a day, every day, I'll say something in a way that I know is not 100% true. It might be 90% true because I think the extra 10% might hurt someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. So I'm not perfect. I'm working on it. But the choice for me so I do not worry about where my life is going because I have an irrational, mystic faith in the idea that if I speak and act in the truth as best as I can, whatever happens is the best possible outcome for my hero's journey to help me become who I want to be. And so it's not more complicated than that. I just have to constantly do shit that scares me. <laughs> <laughs> why does it scare you? Why, why is, why is that, I, I guess, a pattern or a, a belief that something has to come to scare us for us to, uh, to be challenged or to grow or to be presented with, uh, I guess the choice yeah. to, to, uh, that's a good question. Mm. It's, it's essentially because you are not who you could be. Who you could be is someone greater than who you are now. And the only way that you can become who you could be is that parts of you now have to die. Psychologically, parts of you have to die. And that's terrifying. Which is peeling off that statue to reveal your, yeah. as you said in, the, in your post, the star god. Exactly. I truly believe that all of us viscerally know the type of human we could be. Like, we know in an instant who we could be if we did everything that we know we should and we stopped doing everything that we know we shouldn't. All of us know. And I really think from a psychological standpoint that that potential is inside of our psyche right now watching us. It loves us and it wants us to become it. 
And that's the thing that we sacrifice to or the thing that we run from. That's the thing that tells us you have to go on stage and talk to a hundred thousand people or, you know, that's an Mm -hmm. irrational number. But really, if you think about what a podcast is these days, that's what's happening. But it's the thing that will tell you, you have to go do this. Or it's the thing that like brings the cheating partner into your life. Or it's the thing that brings the person that you fall insanely in love with that it ruins the life that you thought was your stability. Or it's the thing that brings the accident into your life that totally flips everything over because it knows what you could be. Mm. And it will give you the ordeals and the trials and the monsters and the dragons and the treasure that you need to become it. So that's let's let's talk about that treasure for a minute because you've talked about the dragons and facing these fears and facing these challenges. So <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about the prize and sure. what do these prizes mean to you? Is it just more awareness, more understanding, more more trust and acceptance in self? I think I think they're skills. So for example, I grew up with a really bad stutter as a kid, and I started a podcast a couple of years ago. And I was terrified mm. because I, I was afraid of stuttering in front of, you know, a hundred thousand people. I now, one of the things I get complimented on the most by people who don't know me is how I talk. And like, if they only knew that I was a terrified speaker just four years ago because I was afraid of stuttering, like that's an example of I faced a dragon and then I found a superpower on the other side of it. <laughs> to give you another example, There's a woman that I know who is so intelligent, but she's very timid. And she's she keeps having dreams about losing her fucking mind in rage. Mm. And I think the dragon for her is to face her anger. But then the skill or the goal that she gets on the other side of that is the ability to speak things that she'd be afraid to say, but that she knows are true, that she knows are wise, that would help the people who she would say them to. Mm. You know, and so I think that's the treasure behind the dragon. Like the thing that you're afraid to do or the thing that causes you the most pain, if you faced it, there's a skill there that would make you a more adequate hero, essentially, to, you know, go on your journey. (laughs) Okay. I ask a lot of people this question because I have two young daughters. They're 12 and 13 at the moment. And the question that I have is, what would be your advice to a to a child or to yourself as a child about what's to come and how to navigate these these different paths, whether it's t- teenage years, high school, working out career, yeah. working out what they want to do for their career, do I, do I, should I get that job, these types of things for, yeah. for, for a young person because what I got from you saying that we have 50 or 100 programs running or tabs running at a time, I guess you're talking about that as an adult. And I guess a baby comes in with probably one program loving, and that's just unconditional love. And as they grow older, those tabs start to formulate, you know, maybe there's two, and then there's three, and then it, it grows. So what would you say to yeah. my children that are 12 and 13? Yeah. I think that that's a great question. And it's a good insight into probably why you do the podcast is because you want to be a better father to them. So I really admire that. And I think the, the answer that I would give is essentially there is a thing inside of you that is not who you think you are. That is basically like a God. And that thing is watching you 
And that thing whispers to you and it feels like it's your intuition or your conscience. Being in truth with that thing, doing things that make that thing respect you, trying to be best friends with that thing is the only thing to care about its opinion of you. It's not your friends. It's not even me if, you know, if I'm her father. Mm -hmm. It's not your family. It is that thing inside of you that feels like a god. That is your best friend. That is the thing to create a relationship with. And that is the thing that will guide you through life. And my only advice other than that is to be courageous enough to not look away from whatever the truth is and to articulate your truth as you witness that truth. Mm. That's it. That's it. Full stop. Off you go. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun on that. Have fun on that adventure. And, and no go outside. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Because for me, uh, the older I get, the more I, I see these games that I've created for myself and I see other people playing these games. Yeah. And I, I view life as this fucking wondrous adventure. It's, it's, it's so amazing, but it's so challenging at times, but it's also so freaking rewarding. And there's sometimes I, I just sit in wonder and, and watching it just unfold around me and whether I've created it or however it works. And, and you have one shot at this game and it's up to you how you play it, isn't it? It really is. You get out of it what you put in or, and I don't like to use the word. We have this, this philosophy here in Australia anyway, is you've got to work hard to get what you want. And the, the further I go along this path, I'm like, I don't know whether that's the right belief system that we have to work hard for something. I think we just need to have more awareness of who we are so that we can navigate it so it doesn't have to be as hard. So, for instance, as you're saying, you will be presented those dragons, but for some people they just keep coming back and back and back. It's the same dragon. It's the same pattern. It's the same idea over and over, whether it's a relationship or whatever it may be. But um yeah, there is a way to navigate it so that the same dragon doesn't keep coming so that you can have a little bit more fun. So it doesn't have to be all hard work to achieve the life that you desire. Am I, am I sort of right with that? Absolutely. <laughs> well, so the answer is, I don't know who's right. I'm just giving my best attempt at what I think this all is. Cause the truth is none of us know. Cool. <laughs> um, I think the thing to offer to what you're saying that I think is true is it really, it, it all comes down to what story are you telling yourself about who you are and what life is? And you get that story. That's your hero's journey. That's your myth. And if you're someone who believes I have to be fucking singed by the fire of the dragon every Monday, you get the fire. If you're someone who believes I am worthy of love and I don't have to do anything to earn it, life will probably be easier. And and I think it comes down to having the awareness of the story that you're telling yourself, looking at whether or not that's a story you want to live. And then if it is, just go all the way fucking into it. And if it's not, choose a different story. Mm. You can tell the story of your life to yourself differently. Mm. if you want 
<laughs> if you want. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's up to you. I love it, mate. Hey, uh, this has been wonderful. I've loved having a conversation with you, Eric, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you allowing me to talk as much as I did. Uh, you're a very good interviewer, and you allowed my ego a lot of room to dance. <laughs> I'm glad we could have this dance together, mate. And I look forward to meeting you one day when I'm over in the States. And uh, maybe we can have a, a nice cup of tea one day and uh, really connect. Absolutely. I can't wait, brother. I Again, I appreciate you and thank you. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast. <laughs>